Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, all right. Hey, you know, this show may not represent the opinions of this station. But it should. But it should. <laughs> Welcome to the True Well Show. It is your favorite Tuesday you have had all week, and we are thrilled to have you join us. I am your host, David Littlejohn. With Katie Shuck. And we are going to be talking finance today and all kinds of goodies. We'll do our best to avoid what ends up being fruitless political discussion these days, because I don't think there is such a thing. As fruitless political discussion as or as fruitful political discussion? Let's <laughs> yeah. clarify that comment. Yeah. I'm yet to see it be fruitful. Everybody chose their team already. So let's just avoid the whole conversation and talk about something we can genuinely make an impact with. Let's do it. And that is how to make better decisions with your money, which we think everybody could benefit from. I love right. it because this is uh, it's vegan, gluten-free, <laughs> oh, all-natural, You just made range. it political. Oh, uh, my bad, my bad. Stop so, it. <laughs> here it is. This is stuff that everybody can benefit from regardless of age. And we're just going to cover some things that we have talked about. If you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard some of this. But maybe it's time for a refresher. Certainly, if you've not listened to the show before, then... I welcome. think you're going to stick around. Yeah, welcome, and we're glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to talk today about something internally, right, within our office, we call the, the, the napkin plan. Now, why right? did you name it the napkin plan? Because, you know, some of the best ideas in history have showed up written on the back of a napkin. In a restaurant yeah, somewhere, you're collaboration. Somewhere, you're having a discussion. And the other thing is a napkin is hard to write on. <laughs> okay? And so what happens yes, is, is you don't write very much. True. And it's not very big. There's not a lot of space. It's not very big. It's the napkin is about a concept, not about getting all of the fine points dialed in. It's about understanding concepts. Right. And to me, the napkin plan is how do we get concepts around a financial plan and good financial decisions? Because as a culture in this country, we have lots and lots of people, none of our listeners whom are all brilliant and above average, right? But so many people that make what I will call, and this is kind of a clinical term, but they are really stupid decisions with money. <laughs> That's a clinical term? Yes. Really stupid. Yeah, there's moments when I find myself kind of quoting Dave Ramsey. So I, I totally get it. As a person who's taught financial peace and taught budgeting, and you know that's kind of my default, is the budget. Mm -hmm. how, to squeeze, how to squeeze every last penny out of that dollar. Um, yeah, it, a budget is super important. And you're talking about a napkin plan. So mm -hmm. napkin plan financial. So what... What kind of financial advice is on the napkin plan? Okay, so let's, it's concepts, okay? Here's the first thing I think we, we need to talk about, and we can we'll go right into it, the budget concept. Okay. People that I see very, very often blow it on the budget. I mean, just blow it. Now, why do you think they blow? What do you mean when you say they blow it? Like they spend more than they budgeted or they don't budget correctly? So here's the funny thing. I believe that they budget correctly. They just, it's like they don't connect the cause and effect. And so a budget, first of all, you writing down what you spend and then spending more than you have doesn't benefit you, right? The budget is intended to provide a, a discipline and a structure. It helps you to be accountable to where you spent. Because typically speaking, when you become aware of what you are spending, right. then it alters your behaviors. But if you don't care, 
then you can make a budget and then you don't go follow it. And the disconnect is like, well, then what was the point of your budget? Right. Right. It's just so that later on you can feel guilty or you can apologize to somebody or you can make an excuse. Right. I think you know, sometimes he doesn't care about excuses, by the way. That's a that's a no. hilarious but true thing is you could say all you want. Oh, this that, and the other. It's like, the money doesn't care if you're a victim or it doesn't care what color you are or any of that stuff. It just says, look, you applied it where you applied it and whatever the circumstances were. And it's like it is t- it's. You know, it's just a thing. It's a widget. So I would say you're right. That's it, it, completely right. I would say on a budget, um, if you don't understand how to budget or if this sounds like a foreign concept, I think sometimes people sit down to start to do a budget and they're so confused. Like they need more of a blueprint or a, a handout or something that kind of tells them how to budget different things. Because there's most people's lives are kind of complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. Well, here's I think the mis construction if you if you think about it as people are looking like the budget is the solve like if you somehow if i do a budget it'll fix everything and i'm always going no no if i stick to a budget it can help fix everything you know we're making it sound like because you have a budget or you that 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 is the fix no a budget is just assigning in advance the categories that you're going to spend money in right right if you and if you deviate from that budget it turns out, you know, it, it can make it work or it can make it not work, right? If you deviate and spend less than your budgeting, hey, I, you know, I budgeted $400 for food this month, but I only spent 300 Great. You have $100 that you didn't spend. But if you turn around and spent $500 in some other category that you didn't have carved out, you're still $400 to the negative, right? right? You spent more than you were planned to. Right. So the budget is this way of doing a really simple thing. It just helps you to be accountable to do it. And here's like the number one rule in finance. The number one, like I can actually say, rarely can you say guarantee, right? But this is one of these rules where you could practically just stamp it all over it. And even all the regulators are going to go, yeah, okay. okay." And that is spend spend less less than than you you make. make. (laughs) Right? Ta-da! Yeah. All the little lights and bells are going off. Ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 ding. Just spend less than you have, and there will still be money left over. What? Okay? That's I a concept? And this is this is not... Some which is foreign to people. This is not Common Core or anything weird. <laughs> this is just straight up math. Any you had to make it speak, political again, David. No, nope, that's not political, okay? It's just it's not new math. It's not old math. It's just math. math. <laughs> right? Yeah. You Down know? to the very basics. I have two apples, and I ate both of them. You have no apples left. Yeah. Okay. So I had $10 and I spent 12 You have a deficit. You're in trouble, right? Which, you know, if you asked your child to do a simple math problem, like I had $10 and I spent 12 they'd be like, how did you even do that? Because you yeah, only had $10. They don't understand negative numbers yet. So, you know, because we it. shouldn't have negative numbers. Like you shouldn't be able to spend more than you can, but due to credit and lending, that has changed the right. landscape of that because a hundred years ago, that was not possible. And so here's what the ability to have a negative balance does. Finances more sophisticated. Right. You're, now you're probably. I don't know if it's more sophisticated, but more complicated. Well, I will say more sophisticated because there are people that can use debt strategically. 
Yeah, by the way, I, that is as you think it is. I, well, exactly. You're, thank you for heading me off at the yeah, pass sorry. on this one. Let's clarify that really quickly. You know, a lot of people assume that really rich people somehow have this magic handbook that you get when you're a millionaire or something that teaches you all the insider tricks on how to do all these things. I don't believe that's true. I think that there are ways that individuals can do certain things, but it's usually methodical. It's still very planned and organized. It's not haphazard. And I think there's a little bit of an assumption that all like all rich people do that. Well, and what here's what slays me about the rich people conversation. Okay. We're gonna get this out here in this first segment. Ooh. Okay. There are first of all, rich is a very arbitrary description. It's what, a moving number to everybody. Yeah, what is rich? It's subjective. To some people I'm rich and yet I wouldn't classify myself as rich. And to other people I'm like, wow, you're rich and they wouldn't classify themselves as rich. Right. So, like, David, do you classify yourself as rich? No. But you make more than I do. True. So to me, you're rich. Okay. Right? But to you, yeah. <laughs> but to you, well, because you make more than me, right? So again, the moving number. But to you, when you compare yourself to your peers, you may say, well, I don't make as much as this guy, so I'm not as rich as this guy. So yeah. this guy's rich, and I'm it, not. And it's so. a moving target. And so there are certain things. These are always bells and alarms that come out. And uh, I just caution people, if if you have if you have a tendency to say, well, things like the rich or fair. Okay, fair is one of those things that you go, well, somebody needs to pay their fair share, to which I go, well, explain to me what that is. Like, what's the number, right? And it's a flexible term on purpose. It's a term that's used to manipulate. It's also a term to, that people will use to excuse their own behavior. And yeah, I said it. Because again, money is a, it's a very honest scorecard. If you spend more than you have, it's not gonna lie to you, it's gonna say, uh, you don't have me anymore. Now you you owe somebody else, right? Right, and I'm. The, but this is the great equalizer. This is what we're talking about. Is a, is a, a solid education and good decisions, which are within anybody's reach, are doable. Okay, and again, if if we all culturally across the country made better decisions financially, first of all, it would totally change the economic system. Oh, yeah, completely. Right? It would absolutely change the differential between haves and haves nots because our behaviors change. Right. Right. Uh, it would mess with a lot of heads, honestly. Can you imagine what it would look like if everybody spent less than they made? There would be a lot less debt service available. There'd be a lot less debt service. You think about the number of people that are beholden where they're, they're kind of structurally trapped. They can't go where their talents would take them because they're underwater and they can't afford to, right? They can't even afford to take the risk because they feel like they're just trapped in obligations and things that have been sort of built up. And right. now they're, they're, they are underneath this uh, weight of debt that, that's encumbering their ability to move. By the way, I'm gonna ask you a question and you're gonna laugh when I ask it to you. Do you have to make a certain amount to file bankruptcy? I don't know. Well, and the reason it's, it's a loaded question and the reason I'm asking that is because again, People assume if you make a lot of money that somehow all your problems go away. And my point being is there's rich people that file bankruptcy. Yeah, and keep in mind bankruptcy, I I, I do. I don't think that there's a number. And, there, and there isn't. There is not. It, it was a I trick mean, question. I mean, saying, I don't know, it's like kind of going with the flow here. But no, uh, but a lot of people also misunderstand what bankruptcy is. Right. Okay, you know, if you're out there, in fact, that's a good spot. So let's do this. Let's grab a break and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about the bankruptcy thing 
And then like, this should never be an option. It should never come up. So if we, if we learn better decisions, we'll show you how to not have to worry about bankruptcy too. Nice. Okay, so break time. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn. Oh, now it's Dave, not David. Not David. No, no. And, <laughs> <With> <laughs> and, and we, I have to warn everybody, I'm a little soapboxy today. Okay, I just a, think a you're lot I just, soapboxy today. I would just say soapy. You're just all bubbled up. Like you oh, are man. just well, on a roll. We are in a passion zone for me. Okay. Now, if you're wondering what's going on, catch the podcast. You can get it on our website. It's littlejohnfs.com. It'll be under the educate tab. It'll post tomorrow and you can catch up on if you're just joining the show. And if you've been sticking around, you know, we were just talking before the break about bankruptcy, bankruptcy. which is kind of a heavy topic. It's a totally heavy topic. It's often misunderstood. <laughs> and we're talking about financial concepts today. People miss big picture things. And so we started with the napkin plan. And the napkin plan is about getting ideas down. Right. Okay. So I wanted to share a series of ideas today. And some of them are so simple that you just think, really? You had to say that? And to which I go, apparently. And by the way, sometimes <laughs> the simple things you're like, oh, that totally makes sense. Why didn't I do it that? Like, why was I making it that hard? That's yep. It's that easy. And you're like, uh-huh. Yep. And so, and I said, what's, what's so Katie, what's one of the, like the hard and ironclad rules of finance? Okay. Spend less than you make. Spend less than you make, right? It's just magic that you can't screw that one up. By the way, those are like words of wisdom from our great grandparents and like great great grandparents. The they were just of like, time, right? right? Like, here's your income, make less than you yeah. make, save a little. It, you would think it was common sense. And yet, culturally, because people have access to credit cards these days, oh. so many folks spend money they don't have. And then they are just saddled with a bunch of problems. And then you, then we talk about what we call being structurally trapped. Right. Right. Where you need money to survive, but you don't have enough money to get out of your circumstance. And you're trapped on this treadmill of paycheck to paycheck, never enough, never enough. Right. And your life is super financially fragile. Yeah. Okay. And there's got to be a pathway out. Dave Ramsey talks about a pathway out. Yeah. And, and by the way, he's not the only path. Yeah, he's not. He's not. But he's figured out psychologically, you got to fix the the mental problems, right. the so, emotional problems behind money. Yeah. And, and my first thing that I was saying is I don't think that the budget is the magic, right? The budget is the accountability. The magic is spend less than you make. The budget helps you know where you are spending and then be accountable to your budget, which is a fancy way of saying Take each category and don't spend more than you say you're spending. The budget can become magical. Yes. If you get it under control and then you're like, wow, I actually have this it. extra yeah. income to spend on things. Like some of the guilt goes away when you're spending when you know that you've budgeted right. for it. It's it's the equivalent of discipline. Any right. Olympic athlete started with some talent, but a lot of work. And a okay. lot of discipline. A lot of work. And that work is because of discipline. And so- Finance is like that, okay? You can wish to win the lottery, but statistically speaking, most lottery uh, winners oh go bankrupt, money. yeah. They blow through the money because they didn't develop any of the habits that or it the took systems to, to keep them there. Yeah. So, uh, and and no understanding of how the money works. So we're gonna, we're talking about that. So here, let's talk about rumors today that 
people uh, mess up. Okay, here's a here's a rumor. So you were bankruptcy. Okay. Okay. What? So what do you, what do people think bankruptcy is? What What do you think? I have heard people say like, oh, that person just filed bankruptcy and now all their debts wiped out and they're like kind of like they got to get a jail free card. Like they're just free to go now. Right. Like they don't have to pay anything. Right. And there are two primary forms of bankruptcy, but there's others besides this too. But there's chapter 11 and chapter 13. Mm-hmm. Maybe chapter 7's in there too. But there's different versions of bankruptcy. Now, I don't care to go into them on the program. This isn't a program Because we're not bankrupt- helping you go into bankruptcy. Yeah, I'm not interested in your bankruptcy, okay? If but you interestingly, take the debts on, you should pay them. Interestingly enough, student loans don't count. Well, student loans are considered, but they are not expungeable in bankruptcy. You can't get rid of them. Right. Uh, there's there's some, some funny analogies, but student loans, it's like a tattoo or something. You never really get rid of it. You know, they're <laughs> like you have to pay for it to make it go away. Or how about how better yet? It's like getting chicken pox. Right. The virus is always there. That's I like the tattoo. It is actually like a tattoo. It's it's like a tattoo. Like you just have it forever until Unless you, you pay it off. Right. right. That's the thing. Right. So that's the deal. And we can talk about, well, it's so going bankrupt messes stuff up. Yeah. Okay? There's two different primary versions. One of them, the version says it's a debt reorganization. It says, I'm over my head. I need you to restructure my debts so that I can pay them off at a lower amount over a longer time. It's about working within your means to pay things off. And that's the more common bankruptcy. The other version, and I think this is chapter 13, but don't quote me on it. It's been a while. And again, I don't because we don't, don't deal we with don't, it every day. Why bankrupt. is he going to be an expert in okay. bankruptcy? Yeah, we don't help people go bankrupt on purpose. That's right. not our role as advisor. No. We do the opposite. We're yeah. trying to help you build wealth. Yes. But the other is there is some debt expungement. It's the equivalent of, I, I mean, pardon the crassness, but it's kind of like a middle finger to the person you borrowed money from, right? The courts just say, well, they're indigent. You, you know, you're you're done. That sticks around seven years on your credit record, makes it really hard to get loans for anything else. And so that cost keeps costing. Because if you're going to try to go get a car loan or anything Which else, is on host, purpose. If you just gave somebody yes. the middle finger on debt service, then why should somebody allow you to borrow more debt? It's like right. you just proved you can't do it. Right. So you have to re-earn that right or privilege for credit. Right. I say privilege. Credit is not a right. Let's be very clear on that. Yes. So it is a privilege. Uh, and, and it's a dangerous issue, right? I mean, I've often said, and again, controversy today because I'm soapboxy. If you, credit is sort of like a firearm okay is a firearm dangerous no in the in hands of, of the itself, wrong person in and of itself it's an inert object that just sits there the wrong person can be deadly right and debt can be like that too you use it wrong as a an instrument you can screw it up and you can do a lot of damage so I don't know if it was last week or the week before when we were talking about Robin Hood and you mentioned the kid that had and I say kid he was a younger gentleman right. a, a younger adult who had young too much credit extended to him on right. margin and got so upside down that he f- like freaked out, freaked and, out committed and, and committed suicide. So like this can have real world ramifications. Oh, the, like the, the, the consequences are very real. So we don't need to be at this. The thing is bankruptcy is not a magic wand. No, it's okay? not. And uh, here's the other thing. Bankruptcies are, uh, there's a difference between corporate bankruptcy and personal bankruptcy. Right. This is one that's commonly misconstrued is a, a, a person that owns multiple companies can have a company in their portfolio go bankrupt. It doesn't mean they went bankrupt. Right. Right. It means that that company or that entity failed. So, I mean, that happens. 
right? Like that can happen where companies just fail. In fact, more companies probably fail than survive. They're usually mom and pops and sole proprietors and that kind of deal. But most people that go into business for themselves don't make it. So, yeah, isn't that like it's like if you've survived the first year or something like the infant mortality, then the I chances like five years is the biggie. But I don't know the exact statistics. If you're still around in five years, you're rare. That's actually probably true. Yeah, you're rare. Most businesses don't make it that long. Okay. Okay. So, so other rumors and things that people think. Uh, this one is hilarious. Yes. Okay. What uh, is it? That if you have a uh, first, if the rich people don't pay taxes. Yeah. That's not true. <laughs> this is this is really not true. No. Okay. Um, the taxes are paid in different ways. That and actually is the key point. Hold on. That is something I want to back that train up a little bit. How the taxes are paid or the percentages of taxes paid, right? Like if you're talking about passive income, owning property or owning something else versus an active income wage, they aren't taxed the same way. Yeah. Well, let's use an example. Katie, if you buy a house, okay, you pay property taxes on it. Yes. But you buy, you have a farmhouse that you, or let's let's do even better than this. You uh, go out and you buy just a small, like two bedroom, one bath house in Texas. Okay. Okay. Now there's property taxes that you have to pay every year based on the value of your property. Right. Okay. You discover an oil well in your backyard. Oh, yoo-hoo. Yoo-hoo. So you'd pay $100,000 to get this property and now it's worth 500 million dollars Ooh, bananas okay who's the first seller or who's the first buyer well, so here's the <laughs> thing you don't sell your house so what happens i am now going to get taxed on a five million dollar 500 million whatever what number did you say so 500 million well here's the thing in you're probably not even going to see a major shift in the property value initially if it's still a homestead and you don't turn it into an oil well, right? Because okay. statutorily, there's going to be a certain cap on how much the property tax can be increased in one year to the next. Okay. And you didn't sell the house. Okay. So you still have to pay some property tax on the house. It's worth $500 million, but you, so you own an asset worth $500 million, but you've not sold it. So you've not taken the profits. And you've not done anything different. You're just sitting in the house. It's knowing, my house and I live in it. But I know all this value that you got into it for a great price. And now you have this massive, massive capital gain. You don't owe the taxes until you do some form of transaction that liquidates it. Okay. Right. You have to sell the house. Because that's when it's realized. That's when the value of yes. it is realized. So right now, even though I could say, hey, it's worth $500 million, that is an unrealized gain, meaning like, well, it's, it hasn't, it's not worth that yet because nobody's bought it at that price yet. Right. I could say it's worth $500 million, but somebody may not be willing to pay that for it. Right. So this is where I talk to folks about the Warren Buffetts of the world or the Jeff Bezos or the uh, Bill Gates of the world. So, but let's talk about Jeff Bezos, who's the richest man in the world right now. Okay. And he, you know, he owns like 14 or 15% of Amazon. He was the founder of Amazon. Okay, Amazon is ginormous. Yeah, now. and growing. <laughs> okay, it's one of the top three and biggest growing. companies in the world. It kind of leapfrogs around with Microsoft and Google and Amazon. Those are the giant, giant companies. Imagine that poker game. <laughs> I bet the so, small country. <laughs> yes. So imagine now that 
the vast, vast, vast majority of Jeff Bezos' net worth is Amazon stock. Amazon pays no dividend. You know, because it's a growth company. Because it's a growth company, and so when people say, "Well, he needs to pay more in taxes," and go, "But what are we taxing? If he doesn't sell Amazon, then..." And then people say, "Well, then we should tax him and make him sell it." And I go, "Well, careful, because the unintended consequence of that is that you force a liquidation in the marketplace, and now you flood the marketplace with available shares. Are there enough buyers to sustain the value, or do you actually crater the company?" And now all of a sudden the stock collapses and there's no value left to tax either. Right. Like you just you just killed it. Right. Like you just you didn't mean to, but you inadvertently killed it. And and we're not even getting into things like, well, what does that do for the psyche of the entrepreneur that wants to grow something and so forth? But, you know, I mean, when you're a bazillionaire, you you know, lots of money is lots of money. So net worth is net worth is different than cash on hand. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you have a high net worth doesn't mean that you have a highly taxable liquidity. This is why Warren Buffett pays less percentage in tax than his secretary. His secretary has a lot more income to show. And so her income as a if you think about it, her income. Compared Let's say to personal her assistant. Worth, it's not really a secretary. OK, his right hand. It's his personal. I assistant. would say the assistant. Yeah. Whoever his executive right hand is. OK, because I'm not trying to be derogatory with that. I'm just because I don't know gender or anything. But we, we hear this rumor that the the his assistant person pays a higher percentage in taxes than he does. Well, if his assistant person gets paid. $300,000 a year. And she's on a salary, W-2 wage. Then she's in the a really high tax bracket. If she's right. She's top tier, like 30-something percent, 35% or right. something, 39%. If Warren Buffett takes no salary, and, and so he makes zero W-2 income. He's no earned income. But it's all passive so, income so from income other stuff. his tax is actually quite low. But he gets a ton of either indirect income or capital gains taxes those are taxed at different rates. Right. Okay. So, and sometimes lower than. Sometimes lower. So then you say, well, as a percentage of his total net worth, he pays a lower percentage than his executive assistant. But that doesn't mean that the dollar amount is lower. Oh, the dollar amount's crazy higher. Crazy higher. But on a percentage, this is where people argue, well, it's not right that he would pay a lower percentage. It's go, the ratios, it, it's the type of tax. Right. Right. Because we don't tax somebody on their net worth. Right. If we taxed everybody on the house that they owned. Oh, my gosh. When they didn't sell it, you know, Ma and Pa could be thrown out on the street. Right. Because they don't have enough liquidity to yeah. pay the taxes. Well, then it would decentivize people from buying homes. Yeah, it would it would it would materially alter the economic system as we know it. Right. So if that's what you're calling for when you're out there saying, you know, eat the rich or whatever the phrase of the day is, just know that there will be material economic consequences when you start making major tax code changes right right major and and so that's what we're talking about yeah so anyway oh i've got a fun one for you this is another one of these rumors that uh we're talking about rumor I hear has it yes okay so this one it's about trust funds ah uh, oh trust funds are awesome you know what it is what it's what we're going to talk about after the break ah. you want to know the secret to the trust fund Woo, stick around this is david littlejohn <laughs> katie shook we got true well on news radio 1240 kqen what <laughs> i love our off-air conversations i feel like my brain 
has a maximum amount of RAM. And unfortunately, I feel like a 32-bit operator, not like a 250-whatever-it-is-bit operator. Six. Whatever. And I feel like like every time something else goes in, like something little just pops out my ear. It's like – and then people it's down – It's like a the, tube. It's like you push it to one side, it comes out the other. Right? Like the, like, like the Play-Doh spaghetti squeezes yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But there's times when people are like, hey, do you remember that thing? And I'm like, nope. No nope. recollection whatsoever. And they're like, you don't remember? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Thought about it and then nope. It's gone. Sorry. Something yeah. erased it. There's a memory of my child or something in its place. Um, all right. So rumor has it, trust funds. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this one, and remember, we're talking about concepts today. So napkin plan and some of the goofy things that people do, uh, like rumors around money and things that they mess up. So uh, I'm going to set up a trust fund and then my family is never going to pay taxes again. Not true. What? Not true at all. Isn't I mean, that what the rich do? Uh, so rich people do set up trust funds. So what is a trust? Okay, so a trust is a contract. That gives instructions. Yes, a trust is a contract and it has the ability to own things. So it can be, the trust serves, it's a funny way to describe it, but think of it like, and, and I have to say here, right, I'm not practicing law when I'm sharing this, right? I'm just going to explain to you kind of how I understand they work. So a trust is like an artificial person, okay? And that person then is given instructions and that's what the trust outlines is it's just this list of instructions for how that artificial person is to behave and then that artificial person is allowed to hold title to assets so rather than you owning a house or a car or a building or something like that and having it titled in your personal name you title it in the name of the trust so the trust owns it and then the operating instructions of the trust explain how it's supposed to be handled and then the trustee is the person tasked with fulfilling those instructions. Why does it matter? It's, it's a really simple answer. When I, when I heard this the first time, I had this aha moment. And it happened, we do a state, well, you know, before COVID, when you could actually have classes in a room together, uh, we would do twice a year, we would do an estate planning class. And we brought in an attorney buddy of mine, uh, Derek's been on the show here right. before. And what happens is think about this for a moment if you own stuff okay and you die and you want to give your stuff to somebody else after you die and you have then then you have to transfer the title of the stuff into somebody else's name but you're dead you can't sign for it you can't tell anybody you're dead right like so you, you're dead so yeah. what happens is you leave a will behind and the will says give the stuff to the people i want to receive it but the will in and of itself has no authority the will has to go to court and or then probate a, a, in the probate process and a judge will look at it and interpret the will and then say yes this is a valid will these were the instructions of the person that died the decedent mm -hmm. right and we will follow the instructions and the court will now authorize the change in title to the new person per those instructions. Now, I have a better one. Okay. Can a will create a trust? Sure. How? So why? what would be the purpose of that? Well, because let's say that- Give an example. You may want to have some options. Like, hey, when I die, if this circumstance exists, do this thing. But if this other circumstance exists, then do this other thing instead. And what'll happen is, like, let's use an example of if I, me personally, if my wife and I 
were to be in an accident and die, then I don't want, as much as I love my children, you know, I don't want my 12 year old taking the estate because I'm pretty sure that she would like put in an ice rink or something. <laughs> well, and she's not old enough. She can't right. legally she sign can't documents. Contracts. So, right. so I could have my will create a trust for the benefit of my children and then have a person appointed to administer the trust for their benefit. So here's the fun thing, just a little tidbit that I like, which it never the, the process never occurred to me. You can actually have a financial trustee who handles the finances and yet have guardianship or guardian. custodian. Yeah. So you can have like, you know, mom, the next mom take care of the kids, whoever gets the kids may not be the person that you deem financially responsible for them. Right. So you can actually have two different, or possibly more than that, different people kind of taking care of the family. Yes. So this is where the trust thing comes in, though, is if you don't want to go to probate and have the courts go over all your stuff, then you can preordain what happens by naming it, by, by titling assets in the name of a trust, because the trust doesn't die. Right. The trust says, well, if you were the person in charge and you're gone, then who's next in line to make the decisions? Because you can have successor trustees. I was going to say known as the six. And by the way, name a few of them. Right. You could have a whole line of them. It's like, you know, if if Primus doesn't make it, then go to, you know, whatever the second one is or Tertius or, you know, that funny movie with all the. I don't brothers. remember that. Anyway, you can have you have a whole litany of people and it's, you know, 37 uh, positions to get to the throne, but still, you can have that many people. <laughs> yes, you can. And that's the idea of why a trust is handy. It's so what it does is it gives the wealthy the ability to sort of attach strings to their assets when they're gone. Right. So people don't usually think about things like that if you don't own anything, right? Or if you yeah, don't, you don't need a trust if you don't have anything. Or if you don't have children or family members to give anything to, then may not be necessary either. Right. So. And there are there are tax reasons for doing it. I mean, you can save taxes, but you don't pay no taxes. Right. Right. I mean, that's the the false idea. Now you can drop your tax rate a lot if you're clever. Like good estate planning, uh, especially in the state of Oregon. A lot of folks are unaware of this, but Oregon has an estate tax. It is delinked from the federal estate tax, meaning federal exemption levels really high. Right on an individual basis, it's like eleven million dollars. I was gonna say, isn't like ten million or something? So yeah. If, yeah. So I think it's eleven right now, which Could means be. your first eleven million dollars, they don't have any estate tax. Which on that's a, a lot level. of freaking money. It is a lot. The state of Oregon's a million bucks, which is a lot of money, but it counts everything: your house, your cars, life insurance, including life insurance. That's the one thing I didn't know. It counts in those uh, because you don't think about that, right. right? You make payments on it, and you're like, "Oh, it's yeah. over here." So if you have a million dollar life insurance, like a million dollar term life policy, that you and own, own a house, you've already and, just beat the limit. And you own a house, even if you only own a house that's you know the house is you know you have a hundred thousand of equity and two hundred thousand dollar loan, and you die, and your spouse gets the life insurance tax-free, it's still considered one of your assets when they calculate the estate tax burden. Right. Right, now you get an unlimited marital transfer to your spouse, but there's still estate taxes. But what about if you're divorced and it goes to your kid? Right, so there's this is why there's plans, okay? And so- Plans or plans? Plans. Sounds like you said plans. This is why people do planning <laughs> is because you wanna be more efficient with your money. So let's take it back to the beginning, back to the napkin plan. Back to the napkin okay. plan. 
when I talk to somebody about a napkin plan, I say, well, you know, you've got a few levers that you're going to pull in your financial life. You've got savings, okay. right? Retirement savings and not retirement savings. You've got real estate. Usually it's residence, but if you're renting or if you have other rental properties, that's one of those. Right. You've got insurance. Right. Okay. And that's a that's a pillar of financial planning is, you know, are you adequately insured to cover the things that you need? Maybe it's disability income, maybe it's life insurance, maybe it's long term care, basic health insurance. It's there's lots of different reasons but, to have it. And, and there's and, different types of insurance and different values for everything. And if you own a business, you may have a different yeah. kind of policy. But but on a napkin plan, I wouldn't get that. I would just sort of identify, okay, well, first of all, can I, what's my budget, right? How much money do I make? How much am I spending? Is it too much or not enough? Okay. Right. Okay. Did I, am I overspending? If the answer is yes, I have a spending problem. I don't need to get to any of the planning elements, do I? No. Nope. We're already Because we need to get the bleeding to stop. Yeah. So that's step one. Right. Okay. But I'm not spending more than I make. Good. What's step two? Where are the holes in my, where are the danger zones? Those are where I look for insurance. You know, and by the way, you don't know what you don't know, which is why a financial planner is helpful, because you may not be, be able to helpful. see the danger zones. Okay. And then you start moving on. Next step in the napkin plan is, okay, well, where, if I, it's, it's usually, if, if you have a debt problem, that's the Dave Ramsey debt snowball issue, right? Okay. But if it's not a debt problem, then you start to say, okay, well, what are my big picture goals? Okay. Who's counting on my money? Am I... Is it for me and retirement or me and a spouse and retirement? Uh, and remember, retirement to me is a funny term. I should call it financial freedom. We should just call it that on the show all the time. Financial freedom? Financial freedom. Love it. Uh, and then we, and then there's, you know, beyond that, it's transfer, right? And so you, there's education, um, large purchases, and then you, you get into how do you, how do you transfer wealth? Life legacies. Yeah. So, and these are, there's, there's, so there's a basic elements to the plan. Now, the, the most important or the most interesting one to me on this one, this is really a napkin plan, like priority to the first one is what's your budget. And then the next one, this is a goal based plan is what's financial freedom. Okay. Ah, now, financial freedom. We have to take our last break. Okay. I think, right? Don't we have one yeah, more? Yeah, we have one more. So we'll take that one. That's the cue to the engineer. I'll keep talking. Yeah, now there's the music. Good job. <laughs> so what we'll do is I want it's you a to live stick, show, I folks. want you to stick around because when we come back, I'm gonna explain just really quickly in only a few minutes. Goal based planning, financial, financial freedom. Financial freedom, and then how to pull the napkin plan together and make it personal. But we gotta take our last break. So stick around, we'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. Yeah, true well on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Well Show. It's uh, the home stretch, and if you're just joining us, bunch in this show today. And so check out the podcast at littlejohnfs.com tomorrow. Um, if you need a napkin plan, you can yeah. always call us five four one three seven five zero eight nine eight. That's it. This is so we've been talking about financial planning concepts, right? These are not like the really hard big things. To, it's just things that people kind of goof up or they try to overthink it. And it's like, look. Or they've Keep heard rumors simple, right? about this it. This is the kiss thing. Keep it simple, stupid. You don't <laughs> have to get that fancy. Uh, so there are a few things that I want to talk about in this last little segment. We're going to just slam through these, okay? okay. One of them is that the, 
Goal-based goal, yeah, plan. Goal-based planning. What is that? So there's two kinds of financial planning primarily in the financial industry. They oftentimes get married together. Okay. So it, it can be positioned in a single environment. But there's goal-based plans and cash flow-based plans. Cash flow is kind of like the budget. Okay, that's getting really detailed and saying, you make this much money. You need to spend it in all these different places to make your dreams come true. <laughs> okay. okay. And so it's really specific about put this much money in savings, earn this much over time, and it will be with this much money in the future. And, you know, here's how yada, you pay yada, off yada, your yada. house. Yep. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. It's really specific stuff. And it's it's a more fragile type of plan because if any of your assumptions are wrong, everything gets thrown out of whack. Okay. Or if you just get a wrench thrown in there with your health or something correct, stupid. Correct. Yep. So the other is goal-based plans. And this is more like, let's just pick a thing. Like, I want to retire at 65, and I have X number of years to get there, and I have X amount of money in my pocket already. How much money do I need to save in order to be retired? And you go, okay, well, the goal is retirement. Here's the time parameters. How much is it going to cost in today's dollars? We can make some assumptions about inflation and the value of a dollar in the future. And we can back into that goal and say, if you want this much, here's the path of savings and the rate of return you need to get to achieve it. Right. Okay. That's the most basic thing in financial planning is that, and people make modular plans, right? Well, I'm doing financial planning if I do a retirement plan, like I just described. Well, an insurance plan is how much life insurance do I need? Well, you know, you look at the different- How much you make, who depends on you for your money. Yeah, how much money does it take to cover everything I'm responsible for, for how long? And then you can calculate how much of a lump sum would be needed in order to pay those obligations. Yeah, I need to up my life insurance again. It is <laughs> a form of planning. The difference is whether it is goal-based and you're doing modular planning a okay. piece at a time, or you're doing more comprehensive planning where you're saying, I want to try to get my arms around everything. Okay. Comprehensive planning just takes more work. Right. Okay. And I would say every plan needs to be revisited, right? Well, is always, it... It's a moving target because right. the financial world is always adapting. Like, you know how your doctor calls you and says, hey, we haven't seen you in a year. You just come in. We just want to make sure everything's still the same. If nothing else, just to make sure your address is still the same. Yeah. I don't think my doctor calls me. I think I have to call them. But sure. My insurance always go, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. You want to come in? It's like, yeah, sure. So, But it's the, it's the financial checkup. You should yeah. have a financial checkup once a year to make sure your goals are the same, make sure the targets are the same, make sure nothing's changed, or if they have changed, how to make adjustments to your plan. Well, and I think maybe a couple personally, years, but... it's not that everybody must have a plan. I think it's a good idea for everybody to have a plan because it's like having a baseline, right? You take your blood pressure and you know some of these vitals so that you can see whether or not your plan is materializing the way you want it to. Otherwise, as they say, you know, if you have nowhere to go, you'll get there. Well, and I think sometimes the plan is easier as you are younger and as you become well, you older. Get more flexibility, right? You get a lot more options when well, you're Well, if, if you're single and 20 and unmarried and no children and everything else and it's just you, Maybe it's easier. Right. If you're 50 and you have kids and grandkids and houses and cars and jobs and stuff, it's a little more complicated. Yeah, can be. Not saying you have all those things, but it can be. Yeah. So here's the last point that I want to sort of end on today. Bring it home, David. The concept of financial freedom. Ooh. Right. If I could get everybody in their mind to just discard the idea of retirement. Um, retirement to me in, in invokes a lot of weird imagery but I don't like retirement per se, I like financial freedom, and I define it as this. You go to work because you want to, not because you have to. You go to work for the play check, not for the paycheck. Exactly, exactly. 
And uh, that's not our term, by the way, but we are going to hijack it. Yep. Uh, the, I like the it. The play check is a, is a really clever concept. And it just says, look, my passive income and assets replace all of my income needs. So when I go to work, it's because I really want to be there. It's also fun because I'll call this pound sand money. Some, <laughs> of, some people will have a more derogatory term for it. But pound sand money is like, hey, boss, I don't need this job. I want the job, but I don't need it. Yeah. So I don't have to be here anymore if I don't want to. It's very liberating. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> that's the idea of financial freedom is what is the nest egg and passive income stream that you need to meet your requirements? And when you reach those, did you were effectively able to retire whenever you want right. from that point forward? But right. you don't have to. Right. So you bet. I love the idea. I don't think work is an evil thing. Right. I think that work should be a real blessing and something that is is fun and rewarding. And well, and we also don't see retirement as sitting on a couch all day either. I don't. So I don't. So financial freedom. That's what we're looking for. And if you've never really tried to explore that as a concept, check it out. And this is where, OK, shameless plug. If you don't have a person in your life that's ever helped you figure that out call us right right uh we have a phone number 541-375-0898 it rings when you call somebody answers you will get a real person you can schedule time we do consults and we don't even charge for it what i know crazy we're just interested in getting to know you figure out if it's a good fit it's zero pressure all right so give us a call if you want again 541-375-0898 but alas the music is playing so we are out of time um, other ways they reach us, Katie? Info at littlejohnfs.com or on all the social media. Check us out. All right. So you hear it here. Uh, gang, until next time, thanks for tuning in. This has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.